This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. When Jennifer Risher joined Microsoft in 1991, she met her husband, and with him became an extra-lucky beneficiary of the dot-com boom. By their early 30s, they had tens of millions of dollars. Today, there are millions of people like her. Jennifer's thought-provoking, personal story includes the voices of others in her demographic and explores the hidden impact of wealth on identity, relationships, and sense of place in the world. At a time when income equality is a huge problem, our country's economic system is broken, and money is still a taboo subject even among those closest to us, this engaging, introspective memoir is essential reading. A catalyst for conversation that demystifies wealth and inspires us to connect. Valeria Tellez interviews Jennifer Risher, the author of We Need to Talk, a memoir about wealth. Jennifer's book tells her story of getting lucky and explores the impact of wealth on identity, relationships, and sense of place in the world. Jennifer and her husband, David, have two daughters and live in San Francisco, where David is CEO of World Reader, a nonprofit he co-founded with a mission to create a world where everyone is a reader. In May 2020, Jennifer and David launched hashtag HalfMyDAF to inspire more charitable giving. Jennifer hopes to get us talking about money as a way to help us connect and learn from each other. She also wants to fight income inequality and shake up the status quo. Meet Jennifer on jenniferrisher.com. Here is the interview with Jennifer Risher. In your own words, who is Jennifer Risher? Well, I, I'm someone who leads with passion and with heart. Um, I'm a truth teller and a seeker, I'm trying to learn and understand myself and the people around me and the world. I'm a partner and a mother and a daughter and a friend and a woman and a human being. And, um, Right now, I feel I'm mostly um, an author of a new book called We Need to Talk, a memoir about wealth, and I'm on a mission to help us get uncomfortable and have conversations about money. What does it mean to be a human being to you? Oh, wow. Well, I think we're very fortunate to be human beings because we get to think and interact and connect and I think we're all part of one 
you know, we're all very interconnected as human beings and all very much more similar than different. Um, yeah. I think it's learning to be our best selves and growing and connecting with each other and helping each other. And yeah, I'm very fortunate to be human. <laughs> what is your understanding and idea of well-being? Well, you have such a peaceful way. It makes me think of, you know, well-being is really finding um, balance and peace in your life and feeling a sense of aliveness and joy and a sense of connectedness and, and um, peace with who you are and who you're becoming. And, and um, yeah, it's a sense of well-being. What do you think or feel is the purpose of your life? Well, I think it changes. I think the purpose changes, you know, with time and with um, what's in front of you. And I think it maybe opens up and you kind of learn what it is or it comes to you. Um, right now, I really feel my purpose is to share a story that, that hasn't been told and to talk about something that that isn't being talked about and that needs to be talked about kind of the experience of wealth and what that's really like, because, um, you know, there's a lot of issues right now in our country that income inequality is one of the biggest problems. And if we're not talking to each other, um, that's a problem and it's not going to help us fight income inequality. It, it might sound far reaching, but I do believe that having conversations, with people closest to us about money that we're not having right now um, will help us grow as, as people, will help us connect, will help us learn from each other, and ultimately help us fight income inequality because our silence just keeps the status quo in place. So I feel my purpose right now is to start these conversations. How do we know when we are living and we have found our purpose for the time being? Do you have some suggestions? I'm not sure we always do know. I think maybe we we just have to trust and follow our instincts and follow our hearts and, and our passions and, and believe that we are on the right path for ourselves. And maybe you do know, maybe when you are really in living your purpose, it feels um you feel more whole and more grounded and more alive. So I, I do feel like right now I'm I'm in my purpose and and in many ways. I mean, I feel also my purpose is to be a a, a contributing and, and generous member of my family and and a friend and a and a daughter and a and a. So yeah, I think when we feel the most alive and and true to ourselves, then I think we're probably living our purpose. What is your definition of success these days? What is to be successful to you? Well, success is is accomplishment, I guess. And um, it's when you feel a sense of satisfaction about of what you're doing, where you feel like you have done your best, you've, you've shown up 100% and you've given all that you can give and done done all that you can do. I think that's a, 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 a success for you. Um, why do you think we have these constructed ideas about success? 
Mm-hmm. I think we get a lot of messages from society about, you know, that defines success for us. And it's easy to listen to those messages, to listen externally rather than listen to ourselves because we're surrounded by it and um, starts at a young age. And yeah, I think there's a lot of, especially in this country there, where we really think of success as financial and we have to be successful. We have to accomplish, we have to get, you know, always kind of better and better and better um, in the eyes of, of, I don't know who. The, the, <laughs> um, so yeah, it's, it's, I, it's easy to, to fall into that and to, to believe that and, and feel like you're not successful in terms of other, the way other people me- measure that. But I think it's always important to try to go back to what success means for you and remember that and, and celebrate your own successes. What do you love most about being a woman? Oh, yeah, just as I'm glad to be human, I'm, I'm even more happy to be a female human. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, you know, we are, I think in part, I get asked this question around conversations around money. And I think, you know, women are the ones that, you know, can start are really the communicators and the connectors and the, um, we aren't, we don't shy away from emotions and we can kind of see a, a bigger whole picture. Um, I know that's a generalization, but I do think that's true of, of, of us as women. And, and I'm, I'm, proud of that. And I feel like we together have a lot of power. We can connect, lift each other up. I love that. I love that, you know, we create life within us. That's pretty amazing. I have two daughters and um, that was an incredible experience to give birth and to be a mother. Do you feel or thank or have the experience to know that women relate to money differently in a different way than men do? I do think so. And I think that's part of why women are the ones that are going to start this conversation and open up a conversation about wealth. I think for men, um, money is really connected to their identity in a way that it's not for women. It's part of their ego. It's, 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 you know, kind of always a measure of their worth in many ways. And I think that's, you know, society puts that on, on all of us. And that's part of the way kind of society looks at men, but I think they take that on and they, they sort of identify more with money than women do. Have you faced any challenges for being a woman? Well, I, we live in a man's world. <laughs> right. What a question to ask. That's a challenge. Um, so I think I feel that, you know, in little ways every day as all women do, but, um, I think, you know, that, so that's, yeah, I think we all sort of face that, but I, I think we can overcome it, if, especially if we come together. What is freedom to you, Jennifer? What is to be free? Yeah. Oh, well, I guess thinking about money, <laughs> money does allow for freedom, which, which is, you know, a, a incredible thing. I feel very lucky in that. But I think it's freedom, you know, to you know, what I was talking about before, freedom of our own self inner critic and freedom of uh, from from kind of being a slave to kind of what society expects of us. I think if we find real freedom, we can live in ourselves and, and live in joy and, and feel our purpose, um, kind of thinking back to the other questions you asked me. At this time, what do you think is the world's greatest need? 
Oh, we have so many needs right now. I, I think unity and peace and understanding that we are all human beings and feeling our connection and feeling how interconnected we all are and trusting each other. We have a lot of needs. I think, you know, again, I go back to income inequality because that disparity is really damaging for everyone. When you talk about connectivity and how similar we are, it sounds very spiritual to me. So my question is, do you practice any form of spirituality? Or oh, that's not necessary from your perspective? Many years ago, I did a lot of searching around that. And um, I do feel like I am spiritual, although I don't adhere to any one religion. I think spirituality kind of maybe is defined differently by different people. Um, I think when we're living at our, our best and, and a, as our highest self, if we are connected to a more spiritual, I mean, we're, we're very small in the, in the grand scheme of things. So it's sort of that connection to the bigger whole that's, that's bigger than all of us, or maybe it is all of us. I don't know. My last warm up question is what is love to you? No, that's connected to the last question, I think, is spirituality and love. Love is kind of the most powerful thing in our world. It's it's what what does connect us and bring us together. It's a feeling within us and it's it's a way we can kind of walk through the world with love. It's the anecdote anecdote to fear. Um, yeah, and I hope I mean that's you know what what will bring the world together. It it is It is kind of feeling love and, and feeling love for each other and for the world and for just feeling it. How and why did you become a writer? And what was the intention of writing your book, We Need to Talk, a memoir about wealth? Mm. I've always enjoyed writing. Writing has been kind of the way I get clear about things. I wrote in a journal and I've I've always loved writing. In fact, when I became a mom, I thought, oh, this is an incredible experience. I need to write about this. Um, and for my book, which I've spent 14 years writing, it, you know, I had, I, I guess I'll back up and say that, you know, I'm really lucky. When I was 25, I joined Microsoft and I met my husband, David, and I got stock that was worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. And then six years later, when David and I were married and we were expecting our first child, he took a job at a small, unknown startup that was selling books on the Internet called Amazon.com. And, you know, we were in our early 30s and the company went public and we had more money than we could wrap our heads around. And wealth surprised me. You know, having a lot of money doesn't look or feel like what Hollywood sells us, what those all that external kind of stereotypes and the glitz and the glamour. It, I didn't find myself in a big sparkly private club kind of hanging out and sharing financial secrets. I found myself alone in a strange, silent space where no one was really talking much about money at all. I felt the resentment of friends. I was worried about raising spoiled, entitled children. I wasn't sure if I should give to family members. I didn't know how to approach philanthropy. 
and no one was talking about these issues. Even though eight out of 10 people with wealth grew up middle class or poor. So I wanted to write about this experience because I felt like, you know, it mine is a story that I'd want to know about if it hadn't happened to me. Hopefully my questions will explore what your message is or your messages are. And some of the questions I have, as I mentioned off record, they are inspired by some of the questions you post in your book, very precise and deep questions, interesting questions. But I wanted to ask you, what is the difference between being and feeling wealthy? Mm, yes, well, I was wealthy um, for a long time and it took me a long time to feel that. And what does that mean? It means that, you know, I grew up um, saving my pennies, um, feeling responsible, feeling, you know, wary of the rich and they were, were not like us. My, my mother was a, um, librarian and my father, uh, was worked in, in insurance, but, but, you know, they each had their own kind of view of money. And I think, you know, we all, we all have a money story and that money story starts in our childhood and we kind of learn the attitudes and the way of handling money from our parents and so i really had embodied that and i i you know i felt that i had such middle class values and so when suddenly i had all this money i you know i think we think oh money's going to change you but it, it didn't change me really at all it, it maybe revealed more of who i really was but i felt like well, wait a second i'm still me i still have insecurities I, my feelings get hurt i make mistakes i'm still myself and i didn't it, i didn't feel like quote that rich person and it took me a long time to accept that i had become what I'd kind of grown up prejudiced against and to, to kind of feel my way along in that. And who am I with this money? And, um, so it took me a long time to kind of allow myself to feel like, yeah, that I do have a lot of money and, and that's okay. It doesn't make me obnoxious. It doesn't make me a, a bad person. It doesn't make, you know, it doesn't change the values that, that I still hold, hold true. Is money really connected to happiness? Well, yeah, that is a, a question a lot of people think about. And, you know, I thought about that when I was a kid, kind of dreaming, like, what if I had a million dollars, right? And of course, at the time, I'd have a cute boyfriend and a fancy car. But at the time, I really thought that all that money would change everything and that my life would be perfect, um, and I think we often set ourselves up this way, thinking, if only, then my life will be perfect. Like, if only I could get that big promotion or, you know, we do it around other things, too. If only I could lose 20 pounds or if only I met the right person. Um, you know, I remember a, a friend of mine telling me she used to lie in bed at night, unable to sleep, thinking, if only I could make a hundred thousand dollars. And then she started laughing because she was making more than that, but she was still lying in bed at night, unable to sleep. So I don't think money changes us. It doesn't make us happy. But, but let me say first that, yes, money makes us happier up until a point. 
So if your basic needs are not being met, if you, you know, can't, you know, don't have enough food, you know, not have housing. I mean, these, yes, every dollar will make you happier, but, but research shows that at a point, and, and this is research from, um, university of, of Princeton university from 2010 is showed that at $75,000 a year, your happiness is not going to grow beyond that. So if you are making twice that much, you're not going to be twice as happy. And if you're making 10 times that much, you're not going to be 10 times as happy. It, it, it plateaus. And so at, at a certain point, once our, our needs are met and our comfort is achieved and we can you know, go on a vacation, then, you know, no more money is not going to make us happier. And I, from my firsthand experience, I can tell you that that that's true. What did that experience or how that experience enhanced your life in what positive ways and then also in what negative ways it influenced or changed your life? Well, it's in positive ways. I mean, I feel very fortunate. I, I think, you know, it's there's many positives I've been able. We've been able to do a lot of traveling and we've had incredible experiences as a family. Um, having money has given me the opportunity to give to others. And I'm really grateful for that. That also brings happiness where you could kind of impact other people's lives in a positive way. Um, so I, I do think that there's, you know, many positive, um, pieces to, to having money. Um, but the part that is not, and, and that was surprising to me is that, you know, wealth is isolating, um, and, you know, normally in, in my life, if I have a question or a problem, let's say I want to figure out, should my 16 year old have a curfew? I, I ask all my friends, I turn to everyone I know and, and get their ideas. I hear their advice. I hear about their experiences and, and just talking about a problem kind of is helpful because it lets me know that my issue is, is normal and that it's shared, but the same doesn't happen with money. And it certainly doesn't happen when you have a lot of it. So I couldn't turn to friends and I felt a distance and I worried about how people were viewing me and what they thought. And I, you know, what brings us happiness is connection with other people. And I think wealth can create a distance um, in relationships with family and friends. And, you know, it also doesn't come with a handbook to tell you how to, how to raise kids that aren't spoiled or how to find a good financial planner or how to come up with a philanthropic strategy. So I, I, you know, and that's a part of why I wrote my book because I couldn't turn to friends. And so I wanted to turn to books. There were no books. So I wrote my book in many ways for the millions of Americans like me who have more money than they had growing up or they have more money than others in their extended family or more money than many of their friends. So I'm telling my story as a way to help other people understand their own. And how does it feel, Jennifer, to have more money than others? Well, like I said, it can feel isolating and it can feel, you know, I, I think, and, and I, and going back to your earlier questions about being a woman, I think I care about connections. I care about other people. I, I want to be part of a community and feel a sense of belonging and money can get in the way of that. 
How did you manage um, those uh, challenges? I mean, I know you're not telling everything about the book. <laughs> yeah, no, but I, well, I think part of how I managed it was to write a book. <laughs> right, right. And kind of go through my own therapy process in, in, in writing this and, and thinking about it and, you know, working through my experiences. Um, yeah, you know, it, I maybe I'll share kind of the way my, because the, the, it, it wasn't always this title when I first started writing I, I was writing The Embarrassment of Riches. And because it was an embarrassment to me, um, and I remember, you know, during this time, I went to a writer's workshop and I, you know, I'd basically been teaching myself to write. And I, you know, I do love to write and it, I see it, it as a puzzle. Like I was trying to figure out how to piece together my life in a way that was compelling and how to talk about money in a way that wasn't off-putting or offensive. So I was really interested in being at a writer's workshop where I could talk to other writers. And I remember sitting in the, with maybe two or 300 other people that I didn't know um, in a room where the welcoming speaker was sort of saying, you know, look around yourself. Everyone here loves the written word and shares a love for the story. And this is a weekend to learn from each other and to support each other. And, you know, I was really excited about that. But then I realized I had to introduce myself and first thing to someone I didn't ever meet before, I'd have to tell them, yeah, I'm, I'm rich or I have a lot of money. And it was so embarrassing. And I, you know, I actually spent time crying in my room. It was so painful. And, um, you know, I remember one woman, I introduced myself, I'm Jennifer, I'm writing about wealth. And she looked at me and she said, you don't look rich. That I don't, I didn't take it as a compliment and I, and it was embarrassing. So, so it was in the embarrassment of riches for, for many years. And then I changed the title to the tiniest violin. And then it was, um, it's not about the money. And then um, Confessions of a Rich Woman. And then The Last Taboo. And it was The Last Taboo for many years. Um, and then it changed to What We Don't Talk About When We Don't Talk About Money. And then I finally landed on We Need to Talk, a memoir about wealth. It feels to me like it's that deserving factor or component so we feel like we don't deserve uh, in many ways but then there's another part that judgment for having money and not having money it's sad in a way isn't it mm -hmm. you know i think we all have money shame money guilt and yeah i think it's working through that because you know when you're you feel shame it's very inward looking. It's very um, fear-based and, and blaming and it's disconnecting. Whereas, you know, it, I, and, and Brene Brown says this, you know, uh, shame is on one end of the continuum and the other is empathy. And we can't, if we're in shame, we can't have empathy. And empathy is the, is all about courage and connection and compassion. And so, you know, like you said, it, there's the stigma and there's judgment. And if we're feeling ashamed, we're not going to be at our most empathetic. How did you balance this? How did you find that space, finally, that understanding of having empathy first for yourself and then others? 
yeah, I think I was just living life <laughs> and experiencing mm-hmm. life and gaining, gaining experience and, and learning and gaining knowledge and um, really kind of coming, you know, coming to a place where I, I just felt the importance of, of talking about this, this, this taboo subject because, you know, money is a taboo subject, but it doesn't have to be. And the more I realized, you know, that, that, you know, talking about, we, it's not really the money itself that we don't talk about. It's those emotions behind the money that we avoid. And, you know, these emotions are universal. It doesn't matter how much you have in your bank account, because if you have parents, if you have a sibling, if you have a spouse, if you have friends, you probably know that, that it's uncomfortable to talk about money. You maybe you have one of those sort of awkward money situations hanging over your head right now. And we don't talk about it because of fear. Now, this is the opposite of love, right? We're, we're afraid of hurting someone else's feelings. We're afraid of rejection. We're afraid that we won't measure up or we won't sound knowledgeable. And again, it gets back to this, you know, this shame that we can feel around money. But I, I want to invite us to get uncomfortable and to have those conversations because on the other side of those conversations, even though it might be, be messy and, and, uh, and make you uneasy to have that conversation on the other side is a sense of connection and a chance to learn from each other. I guess you mentioned, you talked briefly about, um, or maybe not about identity. This is an interesting topic that we usually identify with what we the amount of money we make, how much we have, or the work that we do, that we are uncomfortable not having the money we have or not doing what we are doing. So in your book, you pose that question. I'm paraphrasing here, but if you are not working or have money, how do you feel about yourself? So that's a great question to ask ourselves. Yeah, I think, you know, we, especially in the United States, I think it can be the second or third question someone asks you is, you know, what do you do? And we define ourselves through our work. Um, I'm a healthcare worker, or I'm a a teacher, or I'm a professor, whatever it is. And, and that identity, the way we identify with our work, um, it's pretty strong. And so, you know, I, I, in my book, I talk about kind of, you know, it's more than a paycheck when you, when you're working, it really gives you that identity. It gives you, um, a meaning in life. You know, it gives you a structure to your day. It connects you to other people. It helps you have uh, uh, goals and successes and camaraderie. Um, I think we do often identify with work. So then when you're not working, then who are you? And that, that was part of my struggle. And I think it's, it's a struggle that many women, I think, go through when you have your, your, if you have a a child and have to figure out like, who am I now? Am I still the person I was at work? Am I, am I now, now that I'm a mom, can I be a mom and a, a a lawyer? It's, 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 that happens with, with kids. And I think it happens again, you know, when you have something like, like, I had happened to me, like all of a sudden, all this money, who am I? Am I still the person who 
circles the block in search of free parking, the person who won't pay the ATM fee because, you know, I'm, I'm responsible. I'm going to walk until I get to the bank that where I have my money. Am I, am I going to buy those raspberries that are way out of overpriced because they're out of season? That That's who I was growing up. I was responsible with my money and, and frugal and careful. And um, when those things no longer were necessary, then, okay, now who am I? What happens then, Jennifer, is a change, there's a shift in identity, or you remained the same, but just changed uh, your perspective in life, your ideas? I think that you said it perfectly. I think, you know, a surprise, I, there was a long time where I was worried that I was going to become some obnoxious person. <laughs> that we, we do have such a stigma. I mean, wealth has this we have a lot of judgment around it. And so I had that same judgment, you know, those wealthy people, they are self-centered and they're obnoxious. And I was worried that I was, you know, I didn't want to identify with that because that's not what I wanted to be. And I realized, you know, money doesn't change you. It doesn't, it hasn't changed me. And it's in fact revealed more about me than, than, I might have otherwise known it's it's really shown a light on me. So I think maybe, you know, if you are a person who's obnoxious, if you have money, it makes you even more so. So maybe that's why that, that kind of stereotype exists. Yeah. So amplifies in a way, yeah, who you already are. Right? And 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 back to your question, yeah, the perspective my perspective has changed because, you know, I don't have to circle the block, even though I still do what I <laughs> wait a second. Go ahead and pay for parking. You're late. Mm -hmm. So that you call it the respect for money or being uh, responsible. That's what it means when we are careful and cautious about spending money. Well, well, that's how I grew up. Like to be responsible was to be careful with money and to be, you know, frugal and, and not to be excessive. Those were sort of values that I grew up with. Did they change? No, well, you know, <laughs> <Not really. laughs> it's very hard for us to escape what we learn in childhood. And no, they, I could still feel them, but I have to sometimes remind myself that it's okay, you know, to, to you know, just pay for that parking or to buy the raspberries <laughs> and I have to give myself permission. Wow. And sometimes it isn't, it doesn't come from my, my gut still is, you know, the same girl I grew up as. And, and yet my head has to remind myself, okay, you know, you, you can go ahead and, and you know, pay, buy that, those raspberries or whatever it is. What would you say it's enough? Do we talk about numbers or goes back to values and how we feel about life itself even? I think it's very human to get trapped in the not quite enough, not quite enough. And it's surprising how you think, oh, you know, $100,000 a year, that will be enough. But then when you're making it, you want more. And it's you can easily get get trapped. And I think especially within our culture and all the messages that we get, it's like more, more, more is better. And more isn't always better. And I think here again, it, it could take a kind of conscious decision to say, look, you know, I have more than enough and feeling that within and, and making the decision like, no, I don't need, I don't need to, to always be in the process of more because there's always more and there's always less. And it's kind of finding 
for yourself what what enough is and it's and that's easy to say because you know you're surrounded by friends and and people around you and it it, it can feel very relative so it, you might feel like you have enough when you're with a certain group of people but then you're with another group and you feel like you don't have enough so it really is trying to find that that sense within yourself and to remind yourself what what enough means to you what you just said just inspired me to ask you a question about comparison how harmful that is yeah it is harmful isn't it we do it though <laughs> <laughs> right right is that a habit what is it yeah i think it's being aware of it and and trying to stop ourselves and remind ourselves that yeah we are enough I think another perspective on comparison that i heard of is the admiration admiring other people who have succeeded um, have done for the achievements and the accomplishments the wonderful accomplishments that they have had so i'm wondering what the balance is <laughs> how do we know that we are not comparing but admiring yeah i think you know admiring is 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 okay but it, i think it's more if you're inspired by other people that's where it, it's a positive impact on you i think when it's when it that when it feels like it's it's inspiring you to do better or to to, to change or, or try something new and it feels like a positive force then i think that's probably something you can lean into but if you're admiring in a way that feels more envious or 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 you know, judgmental or jealous that then maybe you have to take a look at that i mean yeah i think we can compare and that can be positive because if we're comparing and it's inspiring then maybe that's that's something that's good for us what lessons have you taught your children about money and have they learned <laughs> Yeah, this is the biggest worry for, you know, all parents. I don't no parent wants to raise a spoiled brat. You know, we all want our children to be happy, successful, you know, um contributing members of of our communities and the world. Um and I don't think it's something you can just tell your kids. I think you have to model, you know, for your children and it's really about living your values and living those values day to day, week to week, month to month, you're, they're watching you. They watch everything you're doing. And um, so you need to, to be living your values so that, that those are the values that they, they learn. And um, wealth does add a kind of layer to that. And I think it's about your attitude towards other people, feeling a sense of gratitude. I mean, maybe you can do things that other people can't, but do you appreciate that? Are you showing your kids that that they're fortunate and that they are, should be grateful for, for all of the, the abundance in their lives. Um, and I think it's as easy as, you know, just thinking about going to the grocery store with your kids. I mean, what are they witnessing you doing? Like when someone cuts you off to, to park in your spot, do you, do you get angry or do you, are you gracious? And, and you walk into the grocery store and you, it's almost a teaching moment where you can talk about why you're picking the, the, products that you're picking, you know, they, they have the value that you're looking for. It's not just about, you know, you're, you're thinking about what you're spending and you're making trade-offs and choices. And then you go to the meat counter and you're, you're interacting with the guy there. And are you, are you kind to him? Are you respectful? And how do you check out, you know, all these little interactions and all these choices that we make, I, our kids are watching us. And, um, I think that's how they, they learn you know, how to, to, to move through the world themselves. 
talk to me for a moment about your experience giving money to strangers. Oh, yeah, that was something I wrote about in my book. Um, you know, we all, you know, like I said, we all have this money story that we learn in childhood and we learn about giving in, in childhood, too. And, and it's a it's a habit or a skill that we learn. And for me, you know, my my mom and I took canned peaches to food drives. So I never really learned about giving financial donations. And it wasn't until I was working at Microsoft um, and surrounded by people who were making charitable donations that I started to give a certain percentage of my paycheck to United Way. And then I, you know, I learned about philanthropy and giving. And I, you know, the first places I gave to were sort of places that had given to me, like I gave to NPR, my, the nonprofit that organized my mother's group. And I, I was really focused on like, how am I, I wanted to give back. I felt a responsibility and a desire to do more. And that's over, it can be overwhelming because I wasn't sure, you know, what to do, how to go about it. I felt like I had to do some research and I had to have a philanthropic strategy. And, and it was right around this time. And this is many years ago when we were trying to figure out, you know, how we were going to, you know, approach, um, char charity that, um, I was driving off a highway, off the highway, and I we, there was a homeless man standing on the corner, and I saw him, and there was a long line of cars, and I kind of was like willing the cars in front of me to move forward so I could get past him, and when I turned the corner, I heard a voice, and it said, "Mom, why was that man standing there? Was he hungry? Did he want money? Do you have money?" Why didn't you give him any money? Yeah. And these were really good questions. Yeah. And a couple of uh, days later, I went, we were, my husband and I were out with some friends and I told them about that experience. And we had this conversation about generosity and gratitude. And, and we decided each of us that we, we could, we wanted to be more generous and we were going to try it out. And we each were going to give away a thousand dollars, a hundred dollars at a time to unsuspecting strangers. And I write about this in my book, and um, it was such an incredible experience um, giving these hundred dollars to 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 people. I, I gave a hundred dollars to the woman who I saw every single day for years um, at, at the dry cleaners, and I remember handing her that bill, and we sort of saw each other for the first time, and she thanked me, and it just felt so amazing the connection that we that we had in that moment. Um, and one of my favorite stories of during that time was, well, we were, we went out to In-N-Out Burger and my husband was placing the, you know, getting our order and, and the girls and I were at the table and he came running over and he said, I need a hundred dollar bill. And, um, he went back to the counter and he told me that he would, had been fishing around for a dime in his pocket cause he needed a dime to pay, pay for the meal. And the guy behind him had given him a dime. And so he went back and he gave him a hundred dollars, which was really so joyful. And it really, you know, that sort of taught me that, that, um, charity is not about amounts or about philanthropic strategy, but it's really about opening our hearts and making a positive difference in one another's lives. Thank you, Jennifer, for your work, your mission, your wisdom. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for these amazing questions. I mean, I, it's such a gift to think about these things. Those are big questions, and um, I appreciate you asking. Thank you. I have a few more questions, but before that, would you like to add anything or read a passage in your book? 
Um, well, you know, I do want to get us talking and I, and I want to invite everyone, no matter how much money they have to, to get uncomfortable. And that means, you know, fumbling around and, and I think, you know, in that next moment where you have some sort of awkward money moment, or there's some situation in your life, like, let's say a friend always wants to go to an expensive restaurant that you really can't afford, or your mother says, you know, are you going on vacation again? Can you afford that? Or, you know, your in-laws are giving financial gifts to your spouse's siblings, but not to you, or or you go out with a, another couple and they're always talking about all the stuff they're buying. I mean, these are kind of awkward scenarios and I, I kind of have like five steps and I'll just go quickly because I, I don't know if we have a lot of time, but I think we can have these conversations rather than avoiding them. Um, and I encourage people to do that because on the other side is a sense of relief and connection and learning. So I think it's figuring out what you're really feeling. So in the, in the case of, of your friend always wanting to go to an expensive restaurant, maybe you feel resentful, maybe you're worried that friendship's going to, no, you realize you really feel ashamed. You feel ashamed that you can't afford that. You, you know, you have a good job. You should be able to afford it. So you realize you feel ashamed. So realize that and then set up a time to talk to your friend, set up a time that's, that's emotionally neutral. And then three, when it's, when you, you're on the phone or, or talking to your friend, acknowledge that this is a very uncomfortable conversation, mm -hmm. that it's, it's, that we're probably going to make mistakes and kind of create that safe space where you ha you can talk to that other person. And in that space, you know, then you give each other time to talk. So maybe you get to speak talk for five minutes uninterrupted and she gets to talk for five minutes. And maybe you learn, you know, when you say, I feel really ashamed that I can't afford those restaurants. Maybe she's like, oh my gosh, it opens the door for her to say, I'm, I'm in debt. I have student loans and I, I'm, I can't really afford them either. Thank you for saying that. Or maybe she had never realized and she said, oh, let's go to somewhere else. It doesn't matter where we eat. It's really about being together. So, you know, I think we make assumptions and we tell ourselves stories. But I think when we can really, you know, talk to someone, we might, you know, learn that, that all of it is in our heads. And then at the end, of course, I think showing gratitude and thanking the other person for having that conversation. So I'm really hoping that that we can, I can give people courage to, to have those, those difficult conversations. And, and my book itself, I, I hope is a catalyst for conversation. And I've included, um, prompts at the end of each chapter to, to get people to, to, to talk to each other. It's a, it's a book I, I would love to see people read with their partner or, or give mm -hmm. to a parent or, or give to a friend and read it with a friend and then come together and have conversations. Cause it, it, it is really, can be very intimate and close to, to talk about something that we generally don't talk about. So I have a few more questions for you, Jennifer. Let me see here. Yeah, I'll ask you three more questions. What was the hardest lesson to learn about yourself and life as of today? Oh, well, you know, I think it is maybe this is again is particularly for women. I think we always try to be perfect and um, you know, I'm not perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about it. <laughs> and I, I guess I, you know, need to tell myself it's okay and relax and just, you know, be. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything in a different way? 
Mm. You know, of course, I'd like to to believe that I'm living 100%, you know, the way I'd want to live if I knew this was my last day. Um, you know, of course, I just think I'd want to tell all the people I love that I love them. And um, yeah, I think that would be the, the thing that comes to mind. And my last question is, what are three things about life you know for sure as of now? Well, no, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) I I think love is what we all need to lead with. And and I think if we could do that, then the world would be a a more peaceful place. Um, I certainly feel a strong connection and love for my family and friends. And um, I don't know why that's such a hard question. (laughs) (laughs) It might be the operative words, right? Knowing for sure that that might be it. Yeah. Thank you so much again for your wisdom, um, your beautiful and genuine presence, your messages. I love your message. And um, yeah, thank you, Jennifer. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Thank you. Yes. Um, so I have a website and it's jenniferrisher.com. And there's two R's there, Jennifer Risher, and Risher is R-I-S-H-E-R. And there you can learn about my book, um, my events, and, and the press I've gotten. And um, yeah, I'd encourage everyone to to buy my book and, and start conversations or even don't buy my book, but start conversations. I, I do think it's important for us to, to talk to each other and not keep secrets or, or let things kind of weigh on us around money. Thank you so much again. And we'll talk soon. Okay, thank you. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Jennifer Risher and her work, please visit jenniferrisher.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.